The ongoing coronavirus pandemic has had a significant impact on residents in the Bay Area. It is critical to capture this moment in our history. The Oakland History Center of the Oakland Public Library wants to capture the stories of our residents and workers to help inform the generations to come. Submit your stories to the COVID-19 East Bay Community Archive at oaklandlibrary.org slash COVID-19 archive. Hello out there, Oakland, and welcome back to Check Your Shelf, the Oakland Public Library podcast. I'm Dorothy Lazar. In a typical year, we'd be launching our fall history series, but 2020 is not a typical year. So instead, we're launching the fall history mini-series podcast. For those that don't know me, I'm a librarian who manages the Oakland History Center at Oakland's main library. The Oakland Heritage Alliance is a nonprofit founded in 1980. Today, I'm here with three members of the organization who make up the editorial team and produce the Oakland Heritage Alliance news. I call you guys the editorial crew of the Oakland Heritage Alliance. Is that appropriate to say? Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. We have here Naomi Schiff, former president of the OHA board. She was uh, the treasurer of OHA kind of recently, is that true? A uh, frequent contributor to the newsletter. Erica Mailman is the current editor of the OHA News. Uh, she used to write a history column for the Montclairian uh, community newspaper for many years. And she's written books on Oakland history, including Oakland Hills and a 2012 updated version of Oakland, the story of a city by the late Beth Bagwell, who we all are connected to in many ways. And we also have Kathleen DiGiovanni, a frequent contributor to the Oakland Heritage News. Uh, you'll find her well-researched articles on the back page of the newsletter. And she recently retired from the Oakland Public Library where she's helped facilitate so many of these uh, research projects that, and articles that have appeared in the Oakland Heritage Alliance mm -hmm. newsletter. Kathleen, how did you get involved in writing for OHA News? I began writing the back page column in the second half of 2001. Sometimes I choose an article or I choose a subject to write about because a photograph strikes my fancy like this one from 2002, one of the first ones I did about the Maxwell Hardware Company in downtown Oakland because the Oakland History Center collection has this magnificent photograph of an older woman standing beside two electric ringer washers outside this hardware store. I love the picture and it turned out that Maxwell Park, the Maxwell Park neighborhood in East Oakland is named for Maxwell of Maxwell Hardware because he was the developer of that neighborhood. Naomi Schiff, was there anything going on in the city that prompted you to get involved with the Oakland Heritage Alliance? Was there some building under threat or many buildings under threat? Yes, um, I had been involved with the Metcalf House, uh, which was 
just at the time that OHA was being founded, it was a um, big old house owned by Victor Metcalf, who was Secretary of the Navy under Teddy Roosevelt. I used to walk my dog around and I ran into the people who lived there and they were being evicted. uh, And the plan was to demolish the building and build a condo. After a very long struggle, we had a precedent-setting decision that they needed to consider the historic resource under CEQA, which was then a pretty new thing. Tell us what CEQA is. Uh, The California Environmental Quality Act, which passed in the late 70s. The weird result, a truly remarkable result, was that the building was cut in half and moved to 14th and Brush. I I remember that because I watched it cross over the overpass on 14th Street because I lived across the street from the building. I want to also get on this recording something from Beth Bagwell, who we've talked about. This is a quote from Beth Bagwell on the Oakland Heritage Alliance's webpage where she recounts the motivation behind the founding of the organization. OHA began in 1980 when a small group decided it was time to stem the tide of urban renewal projects that were paving over, plowing under, and otherwise obliterating Oakland's unique and irreplaceable historic architectural buildings. Whole blocks of Victorians had been lost and many of downtown Oakland's handsome early 20th century commercial buildings were being knocked down in the name of quote unquote progress. So that's a quote from Beth Bagwell, author of Oakland, the Story of a City. This is Amy, the producer. Tell me about Beth Bagwell. Her book comes up a lot in your conversation. And I actually saw it on the counter at the Grand Lake Ace Hardware when I was checking out there a few weeks ago. And I thought, oh, I've now heard of this person, but who was she? Beth Backwell was a local historic preservationist. She was also a historian who who wrote local history articles. And she was one of the founding members of the Oakland Heritage Alliance. She wrote what I consider our seminal local history, which is a book entitled Oakland, the Story of a City. One thing that she left us with is this book that, for all intents and purposes, it's now well over 30 years old. But what it does is it tells in, in, very, in a very broad way the story of the city, touching on the story from its earliest days during Native American times all the way up to modern times. In 2012, the Oakland Heritage Alliance republished the book with an added chapter written by Erica Mailman to bring it up to date up to the Dellums administration. So she wrote that around 1980? I think it came out in 82 originally. Okay. Yeah, so it's almost 40 years old. Am I doing my math right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. 40 years old. Okay. And with a 2012 uh, addendum. And Beth Bagwell uh, moved, spent the last years of her life living in Paris, France, and she died in 2006. It's been already eight years since uh, your update of the Oakland, the story of a city. I'm wondering if any of you have heard if Oakland Heritage Alliance uh, leadership is thinking about publishing other books on the city's history. Mm. Has there been any talk about that? 
that is a very major undertaking because the city gets larger and larger and there's more and more to write about. And we have, as we discovered when we did the, the brief update that Erica did was actually a huge amount of work and it isn't so brief. And even then there were things that we really wanted to put in there that didn't get in. Um, so we had that earthquake, we had that fire, now we've had this pandemic. Um, in between, we had the 2008 financial crash, which certainly had huge impacts. Um, there have been really major events that could do with a thorough recounting. Some people have written aspects of deeper history about specific Oakland topics, of course. We have Absolutely. You know, we have quite a bookshelf of those. Uh, but I don't know that there is a good overall history of the city, and it would be interesting to think if anybody wanted to take it on. It's a full-time job to write a book like that. Here's Erica Mailman. At the Montclair Branch Library, they had um, a book club, and the Bagwell book was the first one that got the most votes. And that shows me people are really hungry for local history, we really want to know the story of, of where we're living now and who was there before and what shaped our neighborhoods and our city. Um, and that's really heartening to me um, that people want that local history. History isn't dead. It's still alive and thriving and we're living it. In the Oakland History Center, I give people the Bagwell book a few times a week. You know, they've just moved to Oakland or they just got interested in history. Uh, they want to know if Oakland has any history. Yes, that has been a question. Does Oakland have <laughs> any history? Wow. Uh, and so the Bagwell book serves a particular uh, purpose, but uh, and a particular audience. You know, somebody who wants like a very broad but not very deep history, just to get them to, you know, modern times, understanding the city. And I would love to see something as you know far-reaching as that book was uh, updated. Dorothy, you should write it. You're such a talented writer. I'm a talented writer? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't think I, can, I don't think I can harness all of Oakland's history, and it's been interesting, and I'm constantly telling academics this, who come into the History Center, that, you know, we have a lot of books on Oakland that talk about a particular time period or a particular phenomena or a particular group of people, a particular time period like World War II, but nothing that does what Beth Bagwell's now nearly 40-year-old book does, which is go from, you know, the Ohlone's all the way up to, thank you, Erica, all the way up to, you know, the Dellums administration. The OHA News, I think, is a really important publication uh, because it kind of salvages a lot of information that, you know, the average citizen wouldn't know about. Not only does it tell our historic uh, story, you know, what's going on or what has gone on in Oakland, but it also informs us about all of the things that are planned, preservation of buildings, like our last few Googie architecture buildings are under threat. How would people find, before the OHA news uh, was published, how did they find out about the changes in the Oakland landscape? Changes to commercial buildings, to uh, private homes of historic value? You found out about things from paper, um, agenda notices and stuff uh, that only went to immediate neighbors, as far as I know, 
or you had to go look at a bulletin board in City Hall. And so finding out what was going on was not simple. It riled people up to see uh, buildings that they cared about um, mm -hmm. demolished. How do you decide what's going to be in it and what's not going to go into it? Erica, do you want to talk about that a little bit? So today, the, the three of us, Naomi, Schiff, Kathleen Giovanni, and I, um, we used to meet in person to decide what was going to be in the next issue more recently. Of course, there's COVID, so people aren't meeting in person anyway. So we do it by phone and email, and we just kind of see what we have on the roster of possible stories. Um, and then we also have, what I really love the most are these columns that appear in every issue. And so for instance, um, Dorothy, you write something almost every single issue that's related to the Oakland History Center. Um, Kathleen writes her um, wonderful piece on the back page that's always anchored by a nice photograph. Naomi always writes a preservation action column. So there's these kind of um, things that we, we hit and then we build a newsletter around once those are in place. I wrote an article, I think a year ago, two years ago, about the uh, Transcontinental Railroad Mm -hmm. uh, coming to Oakland in 1869, but I wanted to tell the story in a different way. You know, everyone, it was what, the 100th and 50th anniversary of the Transcontinental Railroad, and there were tons of uh, community events and lectures and books being published. But I, I, I kind of was inspired to tell the story, placing it in a different frame than I, than I had been seeing. Your, your article was about African-Americans and the Transcontinental Railroad. And for so long, we've been told the story like it was Chinese meet Irish, and that was it. So you really exactly. opened the door to tell a really important history that I think doesn't get talked about a lot. And um, it was a really in-depth, wonderful, long article. It was great. In spring of 2015, Dorothy pointed out a scrapbook belonging to the JCs in the library collection. And there were photographs from an event that the JCs sponsored called National Guard Blood Day, in which a mock invasion was staged. This was, um, this took place during 1953, right at the end of the Korean War. War yeah. And the National Guard staged a mock invasion on Lake Merritt in order to encourage blood donation. What a great story, right? I just want to intervene and say fully, you know, belly crawling, fatigues, all of that. I mean, it was a whole oh. drama that was uh, played out on the shores of Lake Merritt. There the was pictures pretend, are fantastic. There was pretend strafing. It choreographed <laughs> battle. That, oh, here's what I wrote. At battle's end, the enemy was driven back into boats with their own wounded. The defenders' casualties were carried in stretchers to a field hospital behind the lines where some would receive simulated transfusions of donated blood. I mean, you spent a lot of time kind of helping OHA members pull together tours and, you know, you do a lot of deep research for your own columns, but also for um, other people. And tell us a little bit about that. If my Backpage articles have contributed anything at all to historic preservation in Oakland, in the summer of 2012, 
my back page article was about the Lake Merritt monster, the play structure in the lake yeah. by the bandstand, which at that point had fallen into disrepair. And I think it might have been, it's hard to remember now, but I think that it might have been a query from a city office about it that, that prompted this, maybe from Public Works, because at that time it was quite deteriorated with a lot of spalled, the gunite covering had spalled in many places and there was terrible exposed rebar there. When I started asking Public Works staff about that, I was told that the city was contemplating dismantling it and towing and throwing away because they had decided that it was, that its condition was too awful to try to rehabilitate it. And furthermore, the sand that surrounded it was full of lead paint and why bother? So I wrote an article that I headlined Monster Needs Bake Sale and hoped for something. I don't know what. Three years later, I got a message that a Lake Merritt neighborhood couple, Kyle Milligan and Susan Cassantini, were interested in my article and wanted to try to save the thing. They were members, are members of the Lake Merritt Breakfast Club, and they initiated the Breakfast Club, and they started a Facebook interest page, Friends of the Lake Merritt Monster, and started ginning up support for it. And this was a... They even had t-shirts, as I recall. They had t-shirts. They posted lots of, lots and lots and lots of historic pictures. Ultimately, they, I mean, they, got, they got the Breakfast Club involved. They did, a, they did independent fundraising. They primarily got the city to say, oh, okay, fine. You give us the money and we'll fix it. So they got money from the local development community and from other private fundraising. And the rehabilitation began in, what, 2018? Early 20, it was, re anyway, a year ago it was rededicated and it's back to its green color. Kids can play on it, which was always the intention. You know, it was just, it's, was, it's been gratifying to see how a 600 word article had some impact in the community when really I had researched and written it about it because I thought it was interesting and it had a great origin story. I have written a piece on what's going on with the library and Oakland History Center in particular. Not necessarily we're not gonna open, but what we've been doing in lieu of being open. open. Sure. We're still doing e-answers. We're still, you know, our photo reproduction service has dropped significantly because Tony was closed, we were closed. You know, we just couldn't get into the building to even get somebody an image, that kind of thing for a while. So anyway, it's just explaining how we've decided to operate. What do you see, Erica, as, uh, you know, the future for OHA News? What do, what do you think we're gonna see in the pages of that newsletter? What would you like to include that hasn't been included? What voices would you like to include that haven't been included? Do you reach out to uh, new people, younger people? I would say in this particular historical moment that we're in, have we been doing a good job of having diverse voices and telling the stories of all Oaklanders and Black Oaklanders and Oaklanders daughter? And we, we have done some amazing stories, but I think we can do a lot more. And I feel like that's on my kind of uh, radar for moving forward. I feel like we need to, for the next issue, do something similar for the other huge 
historical moment that we're in besides the pandemic, which is the Black Lives Matter movement. And I want us to do more Black history. Um, and that's certainly the, the story of Oakland that we could be telling a lot more and more frequently. In relation to the time that we're in right now with this pandemic, I'm curious to see whether we see directional shifts and changes in the way that development occurs as a result. So will corporations insist that they need large floor plates, which they have been for the last few years, because they have all these people who, who need to come to work, sit on a couch or work on a laptop or whatever it is. And, um, or are those sizes gonna go down? Uh, that'll change the pattern of development in the downtown area, but also if people are working at home, what's gonna happen with all these co-working spaces that sprung up all over? And what about in the outer neighborhoods? Are there gonna be workplaces developing there? I'm anticipating a lot of empty office space in downtown Oakland and a lot of empty residential space in downtown Oakland because yeah. of it. A lot of people, it's been reported, a lot of people are moving back to their, you know, less expensive hometowns or other places, not necessarily their hometowns. Uh, and why not, you know? Why pay the Oakland rent for a commercial building or uh, an apartment? So every year, the Oakland Heritage Alliance has an award ceremony. It's called Partners in Preservation. And they honor people like the podcaster, Liam O'Donohue, the owner of the Grand Lake Theater, individual homeowners that have done a particularly stellar job of preserving their historic homes. So that's been really good to kind of not only educate the public, but to pass on and recognize people's efforts in that work. Anyone can join Oakland Heritage Alliance. They have about 500 members. There is an annual fee. Their members get the newsletter as well as weekly reports on, you know, the programs they're giving. They have a very, very popular summer, not this summer, unfortunately, a summer walking tour program. They have very informed uh, tour leaders who do lots and lots of research in the Oakland History Center to prep for these tours. Things about the lake and Chinatown and the Cleveland Cascades. Those are very popular and probably one of the chief ways that the public knows Oakland Heritage Alliance. Why is it important to preserve historic buildings? For me, it's more informative about the time period and you know what our society or our city looked like during a particular period of time. How people lived, did they live communally? What were different house styles like? What did that mean for say a laborer versus a banker? It's as informative, I think, as you know, interviewing somebody of that time. A house can tell you a lot about cultural norms, you know, were there bathrooms inside or outside of the house? Very important how to me when bedroom. I look for a home. I want that bathroom inside. Exactly. <laughs> you know, a house owned by, say, someone like Victor Metcalf is going to look very different from a house that was built and owned by someone who worked as a laborer for the railroads, for example. What is your personal favorite historic building in Oakland? Ooh, 
I have very, uh, I want to say, uh, warm and fuzzy feelings for the remaining buildings in downtown that were movie theaters that are now not movie theaters. The Roxy Theater, which is now, I think, an AC Transit building on 17th Street between Telegraph and San Pablo. Spent mm -hmm. many a day in there. And the Lux turned into Goodwill that oh. was on Broadway between yeah. uh, 12th and 13th. Oh, that was the theater. Oh. Yeah, it was a movie theater that sold yeah. pizza by the slice out the window <laughs> at some cool. point. Bizarre. Huh. Yeah, we had a lot of downtown movie theaters. We had the Broadway on 11th and Broadway and the Cathedral Building, of course, the Federal Realty Building at the gore of Broadway and Telegraph that used to have a doggy diner at the bottom of it. Doggy diner? Just for dogs? No, just for hot dogs. Oh, I see. It was a diner. <laughs> um, that would have been very dogs. cute. With the yeah. little paper well, hat. The, yeah, well, look up Doggy Diner. They they, <laughs> okay. they were famous for that dog hit, which oh, yeah, yeah. Still, you it's can still find yes. one near the San okay. Francisco Zoo. Okay. And I do get a warm fuzzy whenever I see the Oakland Municipal Auditorium, which young people call the Kaiser Center, but I never will. Oh, <laughs> that, the huge one. The huge one uh, right. near the lake at the yeah. foot of the lake. I have uh, a lot of fond memories of mm -hmm. uh, going to programs there and graduating from high school in that building. Oh. And uh, everybody graduated from high school in that building mm -hmm. of a certain era. Thank you, Naomi, Erica, and Kathleen for joining us on this version of Check Yourself Podcast. Thank Thanks. You. you can learn more about the Oakland Heritage Alliance and find back issues of OHA News at oaklandheritage.org. Even though the libraries remain closed, you can reach the Oakland History Center staff by emailing us at eanswers at oaklandlibrary.org or by calling 510-238-3134. Check Your Shelf is made possible through a mini grant from the Friends of the Oakland Public Library. Through grants and special programs, the Friends support the critical work OPL performs in our community. To learn more about the Friends, visit fopl.org slash impact.